You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 215 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday night. We're on a normal time slot, and joining me as often, the great Scott Coleman is here. Hello, sir. How's it going, Brad? Thanks for having me on. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody out there is is doing well, and and happy Mother's Day to, uh, to all the moms out there. Yeah, it is still Mother's Day as we were talking now, uh, later on my end as always, than it is on Scott's end, but here we are talking about some baseball stuff. Um and some actual news, I will say. Um, we're hoping, and this, we'll talk about this more as we get going here, we're probably hoping for some more clear news maybe in the next few days on one of the uh, avenues that we're going to discuss. But first off, there was some legitimate um, hard and fast news in the last few days, and that is that, is that the changes to the MLB draft for this year. We have talked about this a little bit already on the pod, but now official, essentially, with uh, the decision going from 40 rounds, which is where it's been for quite some time now, down to five rounds. And that is a pretty um, severe change. I think we've talked about this a few times, but just the logistics of that, before we go into any other detail, my my first reaction to this is like, even with some, as someone who kind of knew this was coming, um, it was either going to be five or 10. And based upon who you asked, people were leaning towards five is uh, it's just kind of a crazy thing, and I know you and I are not are, are not necessarily the most draft dialed in people, but at the same time, like it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, draft knowledge to realize the the kind of substantial impact that it's going to have on a lot of things, both from the baseball side and the team side, to just a lot of individual you know young players that are going to be affected by this. Yeah, it really sucks for the for the high school players, college seniors. I mean, you know it just kind of like everything is, has turned their world upside down. And, and there's uh, many, many layers to this. I will say, you know, baseball's draft is unlike any other professional sport, right? Basketball is two rounds. Football is seven. Um, you know, it's already different to begin with, but as you said, going from 40 rounds to five uh, is pretty, uh, pretty drastic. So, um, you know, I think we dig into who this maybe impacts the most. And obviously it seems to bode well for college players who are probably going to get drafted anyway. And, and teams know, um, as do most, you know, you go to baseball America, you teams know what high school players are for real. It's those kids who are kind of on the cusp between getting drafted higher and trying to get a good deal, you know, maybe make a little money and go pro and forego college. Um, those are the ones who are going to suffer because not only now will they more than likely not get drafted, um, even if they go the Juco route and return in another year, in theory, there's a whole other crop of players next year who are going to be draft eligible as well. So it sucks for the players as, you know, this, this is the way these things kind of go whenever uh, players associations get involved. But 
um, you know, I guess you, you make the most of the five rounds and, and go from there. You would imagine the 2021 draft will be absolutely loaded because mm-hmm. of what you just said in part is that, you know, a lot of these high school players, especially that might have stayed um, in the draft or might have been, you know, might, might have been taken um, in like the seventh round of a normal draft who probably would have skipped college are considering, at least from what I hear and read and from people that are smarter than I am on this subject, you know, the, you know going to the JUCO route might make some sense because that way, if you go JUCO, you can you can enter the draft. Uh, next year whereas if you go commit to play at you know Vanderbilt or something like that you're then you're sort of locked in in college for multiple seasons so um, it could have long-range impact kind of short short range impact one thing I want to say before we dive into like some of these specifics is that we've referenced this before on the show but this is a uh, sort of the backlash that was out there a lot of um, people in the industry are not very happy about this, I will say. Ken Rosenthal described the reduction of the draft as, quote, a warning shot, end quote. And he also said it's, quote, a clear statement from owners that uh, believe their financial position is bleaker than the union and fans think. But the warning shot thing is interesting to me. And, uh, you know, passing people that we trust have talked about, you know, just kind of the uneasy nature of this whole thing and people that you know cover the draft like of course they're gonna have to go ahead and do that now for the next month because by the way the further confirmed date it's not been announced yet but it's gonna it's gonna happen is june 10th which is exactly one month from today that's a pretty short timetable all things considered to now i'm not sure how much teams are gonna have to adjust their strategies but they're certainly gonna have to do some adjustment of strategy when it comes to the draft and one month um, in in COVID nineteen timeline might seem like a long time because it you know everything seems like a long time right now. That's not a lot of time for people that are no. trying to figure out what they're going to be doing and franchises that are going to be making decisions. But granted, I mean, I think my my first and broadest takeaway, other than just the impact of so so many few players, is that it feels like the players' association, and this is the feeling that I think has been out there now for a while, kind of just gave this away, and it happens a lot. In all of these negotiations, you know, happens in the NFL when the draft, you know, when the draft comes around. The NBA famously, like, you know, player association doesn't doesn't necessarily want to take care of the players that are not already in the association. But this is a situation where you would hope the player association is kind of giving this away to get something else. But uh, this is this is definitely a win for the owners because the owners are saving money in the present, and uh, it's just kind of set up for teams to be um, favorable. In terms of you know fiscal responsibility, however you want to say that, they're going to save a lot of money here, and the players that get it's the players that get affected, but it's players that are not already in baseball. Well, and we've talked, and I think anybody who follows the game knows that there's just kind of been this this avalanche over time, building and building between the players and the owners, and salaries and contracts and service time, and and I think it's just yet another thing that you know kind of piles onto the top of it as you said you know the the high school seniors and college players they don't get a seat at the table whenever these things are going on right so as you said it they're going to get pushed to the side um yeah who knows if if whenever the uh it comes time to try to work out a new contract if it if we feel the effects from this or not um i will say that you know for being you know a sport that relies so much on the draft. And I think more so than all, all pro franchises, of course, rely on the draft, but it's 40 rounds and there's such a, and I, I think in Jeff Passon's article for ESPN teams really use the draft, especially teams that don't have unlimited pockets as a way to find that surplus value because you get six or seven years of these guys at, at minimal cost. 
Um, again, it's it's a lot of it is shot in dark. This is as unpredictable a dra- as a draft as there is. But um, I think this really does hurt, especially the teams that don't have the deep pockets. Um, this will hurt them far more than the the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox of the world. Oh, for sure. I mean that that's certainly the case. Um, you know, in theory, it also hurts teams that are good at developing players, which is not what you want. If you're baseball, <laughs> uh, I think you want to reward teams that are good at developing players. Um, mm-hmm. And this is not what this does. I mean, even if even if they went to 10, and I think when we had Eric on, Eric said this too, like, you know, going from 10 is a, is a drastic reduction from 40, but 10 is you know, quite literally double the amount of rounds the five is. I mean, go, going from going for, going down to five, even from the, you know, 10 was once the threshold that we were discussing. That's a big change. And it's a lot of money that they're saving. I, I get all that. And the times are sort of dictating everything right now. But I don't know. It's it's brutal for a lot of teams. I think about the for, when you say teams that don't have deep pockets, I always think of like, like the Rays, for instance, mm-hmm. who, you know, basically make their living on developing players, um, having them sort of arrive early and then usually trading a lot of them to sort of restock and staying young and staying cheap. And that's unfortunate because the market is kind of brutal and all that stuff, but you know, not the, not the, not not, not the most fun way to operate as a fan base, but at the same time, it's been effective for them. um, At least to some degree, the the Rays are often good and, you know, it sucks for these teams that really need to take advantage of the draft to have these homegrown talent. I mean, the Braves have done a good job in the draft at, you know, hit and miss at times. But, you know, this is still a team that's had some big time successes with their own draft picks in the past. So, I don't know. I mean, here's one thing we should discuss. Uh, undrafted players, which is a much larger pool <laughs> this time bad. around, yeah. um, can only sign for up to $20,000. And now that's that's a decent chunk of change. I get all that, but um, a guy that's going to get drafted in the sixth round usually, um, signing for twenty thousand as a maximum amount, um, is interesting, and that could have a number of sort of uh, fallout things as well. Versus, you know, a lot of these guys are going to are definitely going to go going to go to choose to college because you know we'll talk about this in a second when the, with the roster stuff. But minor league baseball may not be happening. So if you don't think, you know, I don't know, it's such a give and take that. Players that don't think they have a a pretty clear path may not want to take $20,000 and may want to go to college, even if it's Juco, because they may not have anywhere to play this season as well. Like, there's so many give and take things here to talk about, but that's one that struck me was $20,000 is a decent amount of money, but for someone who would normally be a sixth round pick, that's not a lot of money. Yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, I have a, a friend who was drafted in the 26th round by the Pittsburgh Pirates years and years ago, and he signed for like 25000 and within a year, he had blown through it, right? You buy a car and you're out. Or, I mean, just living expenses. And I think you talked about the minor leagues and the future and, and it really being even more bleak than what we're looking at at the big league level. Uh, you know, these uh, so many of these players use their signing bonuses to live off of because when you're making ten or fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year in the minors, you know, that's that's below the minimum wage, right, if, if you extrapolate it out over to 52 weeks. So um, it, it, 20000 bucks. I, I'm guessing some of the uh, college seniors, I guess, will give them uh, a way to, to join the big leagues, and I guess it's better than nothing. But really, you know, twenty k uh, pre-tax, right, you, you right. take a chunk out of that too. Um, you know, you can't even buy a car for, for that. Um, so it, it sucks. I mean, all the way around, I don't think anyone – uh, by any means is happy with this other than maybe the owners. 
Um, but again, it, it's kind of the hand we're, we're dealt. Even if you didn't, even if you really hated college, which which I think is a um, something that people like I, I would say under discuss when it comes to guys who are either in college or may go to college. That you know, for instance, in the NBA, you know, there's this always this, always this, this discussion every year about how many guys leave early for the NBA, and it's like, well, if he, if he's not going to get drafted, why is he going to leave? And it's like sometimes the answer is I don't want I don't want to go to college anymore, and that's it's kind of a cut and dry thing that people just overlook as someone who didn't particularly enjoy college, I could sort of understand that. I mean, I wanted to get out as fast as I could, frankly, but now you have this decision where if you're a high school senior that almost certainly would have not gone to college and signed for whatever you could sign for as a 12th round pick. Now, if all you can get is $20,000, yeah, you still might hate college and may not want to go, Mm -hmm. but it almost might behoove you, even if it's Juco, it might behoove you to go to a Juco for a year Yeah, sure. and just do it again. So there's always different incentives. Like I would, I would imagine those guys that don't want to go to college and never did don't want to go to, you know, Texas and get locked in for multiple years. But if you can go mm-hmm. to some Juco, that's like a baseball factory, which those places do exist. Oh, sure. And just bide your time for a year. Yeah. That might be an option. So like the more I think about it, I feel like that's going to be very frequently discussed. That's not my idea anyway, but I just feel like that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if that's the alternative, either you settle for 20K or go to go to junior college for a year. And like you said, it's not the beginning of your, your college career towards a doctorate degree, right? You're, you're going to take math 101 and English 101. And as long as you don't fail, I, I don't have the JUCO eligibility restrictions here in front of me, but I would imagine you don't have to have a 4.0 GPA in order to play. Um, yeah, as you said, it's it's just kind of a way, it's a bridge. I think that's uh, why the, the Juco, you know, for the, for the Carter Stewart's of the world, who of course was drafted a couple years ago, found the elbow problems. He goes to a Juco. Of course he opted to go play in, I think Japan somewhere, but for those players who do kind of fall through the cracks or, uh, maybe don't want to do three years of college, but, but do, you know, aren't necessarily ready for the big leagues or don't feel like they got paid well enough. Um, the Juco is there is kind of a lifeline. And I hope a lot of players do that and just kind of suck it up and do right. Like th- they've been in, uh, they've been in school for 12 years now. What's, what's another year, right? Um, yeah. and hopefully build up their, uh, build up their, their stock and their resume a little bit more and then get the pay that they deserve hopefully in another year's time. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, as for the financials of this, obviously this is the whole point of this, the whole reason behind this, in addition to minor league baseball probably not happening. So just, you know, logistical, like logistical things with, with rosters is saving money. Um, Jeff Passan reported, I'm going to read this to you now. Um, the agreement allows teams to delay signing bonuses with a maximum of $100,000 to be paid within 30 days of a player signing with half half the remainder due on July 1st, 2021, and the rest due July 1st, 2022. So even with all of this, the guys that are going to actually get signing bonuses, it appears from the reporting from ESPN, are not going to get those up front. And maybe that's actually good in some ways for some of these guys that might help them be responsible. But at the same time, you know, it's not great to have your money sure. just sitting somewhere that you can't touch and not making interest and do, not, not doing those things. So even after everything else that we've already talked about with clearly, you know, ownership getting to save money and line their own pockets here a little bit. There's another thing on top of this where the guys who get picked in the first round don't get all their money right away. Right. Well, and if you are, you know, you're a, a top pick, these guys know if they're going to get drafted. If you're 
Spencer Torkelson up the road at ASU, who's supposed to be the, the top pick in the draft or one of those top picks, he was expecting to get a check for five, six million dollars here yep. the next couple of weeks. And, and that's not going to happen now. I don't know his or any of the other guys' uh, financial situations, but you're right. It, it is, it's going to be a delay in getting their money. Maybe it is for the best and to help them uh, save it a little better. But um, again, it's just another thing. And, and we've said this a couple times it sucks. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It sucks for these guys. Hopefully they're able to just kind of take this little speed bump in stride and, and have long big league careers and make their money back tenfold. But, um, yeah, it, it sucks all the way around. None of this is uh, is good news in general. And, by the way, uh, since this is a Braves-specific podcast, the Braves, uh, for the first time in a while, I feel like, don't have a high pick, like a super high pick. Uh, they picked, they <laughs> yeah. picked 25th in the first round. And then, by the way, after that, they don't pick till 97, I believe, after looking this up. So, uh if you're looking for a small bright spot, it's that the Braves are not going to be uh, as dialed into this draft as they have been in recent past. Um, still, it would be good for the Braves to have more flexibility and all that stuff. But we will dive more into the draft, I promise you. Um, as we as we re- both reference, this is not the specialty of either of us. Uh, Eric is definitely much more in that world, in addition to Matt Powers and others. I might bribe former co-host of mine, Carlos Colazzo, an ML- a legitimate MLB draft expert, to come on the podcast in the near future. I have to, uh, to tell. I have to actually talk to him about that, which means I probably shouldn't announce it. But alas, now I pressured him in public, and he might come yeah. on. I have Carlos's number still, so I can bother him. But we will do plenty of draft coverage, as I said before. You know, it's one month from now, so on the bright side, Scott, we have some content like legitimate for the site. I was t- I was trying to talk to Chris Willis the other day about this. I guess it was yesterday. Like, hey man, if nothing else, we can now just do the draft for a month. And that's mm-hmm. not the worst thing in the world. Like, I'm not a big draft guy, but I can promise you I'll probably be more dialed into the first couple rounds of this draft than any other draft I've ever been dialed into. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and it's such a weird timing. I mean, you know, it's right in the middle of the season. It's when teams are starting to make their push, start thinking about the trade deadline. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, like, it, it'd be like throwing the NFL draft in the middle of week seven and eight. I mean, nobody would expect that. That's to always happen, weird. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the thing about the baseball draft that people just overlook when they, when they when they talk about why it's not as big of a deal. Part of it is just the logistics of guys being further away from the majors and making an impact. That's definitely a huge part of it. But part of it is also, like, when it is yeah, <laughs> it's in the middle of the season and like yeah. why I i'm mean, gonna watch if it's if the braves are playing the nationals that night and it's the same night as the draft i'm gonna watch the game i don't you know, i'm not gonna sit there and watch who the colorado rockies pick with the 65th <laughs> overall you know right I, I don't know i've never understood it only baseball baseball has always been the kind of the black sheep with everything but yeah, um, and I, they, I guess it's you know it comes right off that and the the other crazy thing is you have guys getting picked that are still playing college they mm-hmm. play like the next day, like play that night or play the next yeah. day. And that's all. And that's not happening this year, obviously, because there's nothing happening. But uh, that's the other factor that is always really interesting with this stuff is like, oh, by the way, he'll be yeah. playing tomorrow for LSU. And it's like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, um, tune in and see your first round pick, th- you know, throw 130 pitches and pray that right. his elbow doesn't fall off. Yeah, exactly. Um, Scott, any final thoughts on the draft before we move on to uh, other things? Uh, no, I think we covered it. Hopefully they, you know, they said it's something to talk about. It's some real sports stuff. I think people really dug into the NFL draft a couple weeks ago because it was real life sports happening. And I, I hope that baseball's draft gets some, some hype and some publicity and we'll certainly talk about it. And as you said, we'll have others on who, who really know their craft. Actual experts coming. I promise. All right. After a quick break here, we'll come back and talk about the other, uh, big news, which is, uh, more, I would say major league baseball related. So hold on tight. Thank you. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Scott. Uh, the other stuff from the weekend, a lot of this is from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic on Saturday, but there's some Jeff Passan mixed in as well. We are getting closer to at least... Uh, more negotiations on the two sides of baseball and the Players Association, as we sort of referenced earlier. Um, Rosenthal reported on Saturday that baseball is discussing a plan with ownership, um, so you know the 30 stakeholders basically, on a call on Monday. That's the plan. And if, if that gets approved, it's going to be presented to the Players Association on Tuesday. Um, it requires a lot of approvals, but... We have sort of a rough outline of how this is going to how it's going to look how it's going to look and work if the reporting is true, and it could certainly change because once it gets to the players, I'm sure it'll get bad sort of get batted around a little bit. But basically, it calls for, and we'll go we'll, we'll kind of go through all this stuff. But um, in terms of the timeline, roughly 80 game season essentially beginning early July. Um, Jeff Passan reported that spring training could begin as soon as mid June. But it's all flexible there. That's about a month from now, as we referenced before. Um, also, Passon reported that, quote, at least a dozen teams, end quote, have suggested that players should be ramping up at this point in time, which is very noteworthy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll sort of stop there for right now. What do you make of all of this? I know we've, we've been talking about plans, I feel like, for a month, but it seems to be getting closer and closer to... Re, maybe not reality in terms of it actually happening, but the they're certainly getting closer in terms of the discussion. It, it's becoming more concrete, and now that we have a timeline like, hey, Monday there's going to be a call, and then Tuesday they're, they're going to talk to the Players Association, um, they're definitely heating up a little bit. For sure, and I think you know, as, as we've done these podcasts over the last few months, at first it was, well, maybe the beginning of May, and then it was Memorial Day, which is a couple of weeks away, and then it was maybe early June, and now they're looking around July 1st, 4th of July, so... Um, you're right. I mean, I think that the fact that uh, teams have been telling players to get ready at least kind of leads you to believe that front offices think this is possible. Um, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that Zoom or conference call or whatever they're doing tomorrow with all the owners to get uh, where they're at with this because they're the ones who, you know, I, I have a little bit of trouble feeling too bad for these billionaire owners who have just made incredible amounts of money off their teams over the last however long they've owned them. But they are the ones who are on the the short end of the stick here, um, you know, seeing almost zero dollars come in right now. So um, I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I I can't wait to see what exactly owners think about, and I'm sure we'll hear from Passon and Rosen, <coughs> Rosenthal about what happened on that call. Of course, the MLBPA is going to be 
I think the biggest hurdle to get over, um, there was a report earlier on Sunday that players um, have kind of balked at the publicly circulated uh, story, if you will, that owners are going to ask players to take another pay cut, yep. uh, assuming the game start. Um, I, I don't blame them. Um, I, I think that, again, it, it's just kind of building up to there's these two sides are not going to see eye to eye on a lot of things. And it's really just going to come down to what side is willing to make the biggest uh, concession, if if any, um, because I think it's it's ultimately possible that you know owners don't want to lose a ton of money here, and I get it. Players don't want to play for free, and I get it, and put their health at risk. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of hurdles. Hopefully this week we get a little more clarity. Yeah, there was some reporting that um, salaries are a quote source of fiction. Uh, sorry, friction, not fiction, friction. And uh, that makes sense. I mean, the player association might even demand. This is one of the reports that might, that might even de- uh, demand like further proof in terms of like looking at the books on ownership and uh, if they're because ownerships I guess balking and saying that you know it may not be feasible to play without fans, which is something that I've been talking about for more than a month now on this podcast. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to defend ownership here, but I, I promise you they're going to bring up the fact that you know I, I saw a report today. It was about, you know, I think it was like 40%, 50% of all revenue is, you know, basically based on fans and attendance and game day stuff. It's a lot of money. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. And we're going to sort of see this standoff. And honestly, it's like drawing up a new CBA, which normally takes a long, long time. And they're going to have mm-hmm. to do it in like two weeks or some or some <laughs> outrageous number. I mean, it's just really interesting to see. We're going to hear lots of different things. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the Players Association. I'll be honest with you. Um, baseball used to be really, really awesome in the Players Association to the point where they actually, where fans hated it. Like the 94 strike is the most famous example of this, where like Donald Fair was the most hated man in America, basically, in 1994 because they struck. But it, it, it used to be a really, really strong Players Association that could kind of draw the line of saying they're really willing to do that. Um, in recent years, and I am not a labor expert, but I can tell you that the Tony Clark regime is not exactly known for um, doing the best job necessarily right now in the Players <laughs> yeah. Association. Uh, again, I'm not an expert, but that's kind of – I've read enough, and people that do know these things do not have a whole lot of faith uh, in the Players Association, which – if you want, if, if you're just a fan that wants to see baseball, maybe that's good for you in some way because you just want baseball to happen. But uh, yeah, a standoff could be coming to be sure. And uh, you know, I guess it, I guess the potential for baseball increases if one side's willing to roll over, and it's usually the players that roll over because players need money more than owners do. That's usually how yeah. that's usually how it works. Um, and I, and I get it too. I mean, there's there's a lot of concessions that are going to have to be made on both sides, and and I totally get that if if owners and the league wants the players to play 80 plus games and start traveling all over uh, at least their region of the country and and you know live out of hotels. And I mean, I get it, right? I get why there would be frustration on on all sides. So I think as fans, we just kind of have to hope that cooler heads prevail because it sounds like these things could get kind of heated, as you've said. Uh, the MLBPA in recent years has taken some heat for being kind of ridiculous with stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll see how the next two <laughs> days go. Yeah, we will. I mean, the, the salary reduction thing, you know, they, they came to this agreement really fast in March. And they needed to go really fast in March to agree to some sort of structure, even though there's not really a full-blown structure. But they had to do something to sort of guarantee the players some money. Um, at the same time that deal is now being seen differently by both sides, which is very predictable in a lot of ways. But uh, it seems two things seem extremely likely here. 
the owners are going to ask or maybe demand, but at least ask for more reductions from players if they play with no fans because and by the way they're going to play with no fans they're not playing with fans so uh, at least at the beginning I, I guess if you want to cross your fingers and hope that by the end of the season maybe they get to fans i don't think that's going to happen but that's at least plausible to me yeah. if they start this thing there will not be fans there will not be fans that's that's a lock i'll tell you that right now um, yeah for sure so regardless if they ask them to do that and they probably are going to by all indications here um I'll also predict slash expect players to say no originally, which means you're now at an impasse and it's like whoever blinks first and where do you compromise and um, following the machinations of that will be very interesting because uh, players don't, you know, they're going to want to be paid appropriately. And it's, uh, I know it's, it gets into this spot where I know I can already see a lot of fans saying, you know, why can't you just agree because it's millions of dollars for whoever, for whoever. But honestly, it's not always that much money. Think about the guy making the minimum. It's a lot of money Oh, for sure. Yeah. to be sure. But if the guy making the minimum is making a prorated number minus taxes, and you're asking him to maybe put himself in some danger, maybe not a whole lot if, uh, if it's contained well, but um, there, there will be guys that they're still making more money than I am. I, I totally get that. But if you're just on the, if you're on the roster and you're like, and we'll talk about the rosters in a second. But if you're like the triple A, like the quadruple A guy, that's like there sure. for depth. You're not making a whole lot of money, man. You're just you're just not. So it's not. Don't. I would recommend people not think about Mike Trout and not think about <laughs> the guys making like forty million dollars a year and think about the guy who's player number twenty nine on a roster that is in triple A for most of the season. But sure. in this scenario, we'll be up, but making very little money, et cetera. Yeah, you're, you're Chad Sabatka's of the world. Yeah, yep. I mean, as we've said, the, the financial mindset of a Freddie Freeman is a lot different than that of a, of a Chad Sabatka, naturally. So, you know, it is interesting because they've already gotten this year of service time kind of guaranteed and locked in yep. with everything going in. I, I think that gives the players um, a little more ground to stand on than maybe they normally would because that was clearly what they wanted most was – was to progress their their service time another year for obvious reasons. So uh, I don't know, man. I, I think uh, I would like to think that baseball can kind of be the the thing that America comes around and their sports. You know, we we have games on TV here in, in two months, but I don't know. I, I, you read these articles from Rosenthal and Passan, and and uh, Joel Sherman had a good uh, good write up on it as well. <clears throat> I think with the New York Post that you just kind of get the sense things are going to get ugly. And as you as you said. It takes years to work out new CBAs, um, and they're really kind of doing this on the fly. So hopefully everything works, but uh, there is uh, a lot of things to get through here. Right, and uh, it's also important to remember that one of the reasons that players usually lose these negotiations is that, as we as we sort of discussed in a roundabout way, uh, players have to agree on something that makes sense for people on one hand and not on the other. Like that's always the great divide inside player associations is like what's good for the top 5% is usually not good for everybody else, et cetera. It's kind of, you're trying to herd your, your players onto one voting side and guys making 500 K versus Mike Trout have different interests. Um, So that's, it's just really hard to talk about things as, I mean, you have to talk about the players as a block, but, you have to remember that each guy or each sets of guys have their own interest to uh, think about when voting and talking about stuff. Um, you want to talk about the rest of the uh, sort of baseball stuff from, from the reporting? Yeah. It's more, it's more fun. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. More fun to think about. Yeah. Um, 
one of the main ideas is a 78 game schedule, which is definitely on the lower end of what, what I thought they might do, but it's essentially set up to be 12 games against each of your divisional opponents and then six games against each team in the same geographic division of the opposite league. So basically the Braves would be in the NL East still, which is different than some of the other proposals that are out there, but they would only play against the NL East and the AL East, which would be tough for the Braves because obviously there are a lot of good teams in both the, both, both those divisions. Um, you do have the Orioles and the Marlins, which helps. But uh, the other teams, you know, you still have to play the Yankees and the Red Sox and everybody else in the NL East, you know, the Rays, etc. Um, that's kind of the setup that was reported out there. I, I kind of go all over the place on this. I think it'd be fun. I think it would kind of put you back in this. I remember, at least somewhat, I would remember when I was very young, how it felt to never play the American League. As a Braves fan, like you never saw the Yankees unless it was the World Series, uh, pre interleague play, and that would kind of bring it back a little bit here to where you, you you would only be playing if you're the Braves, you only be playing against you know a third of the league the whole yeah. season, which is kind of strange and also kind of fun. But what do you make of that setup? Well, I think it's clear if we are going to have any kind of a season, this is kind of what they're going to have to do. I, I don't think, uh, you know, this if the regular season was going on, I think next week the Braves are supposed to be in Seattle, and I just don't think that there's any feasible way to have teams flying all the way across the country. Um, but no, I, I think it'd be fun. Again, this is not permanent. This is to maybe have baseball for, for a season. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be cool to see. Uh, you know, Toronto Blue Jays, who have some good young players on their rosters. I'm, I think most people, most baseball fans are fans of the, the Tampa Bay Rays because they have, you know, a tenth of the payroll that the Yankees and Red Sox <laughs> do. And every year they're seemingly right there with them, you know, uh, get to see those young guys. Of course, then you get to keep uh, you alluded to the the original proposal or I think, you know, you kind of get the sensory in these articles that about eight million things are being thrown out there. Um, I think it was uh, yes. passing maybe who mentioned uh, the Braves joining the Central because it was a little more closer geographically. Um, keep that, you know. keep that in mind, by the way. Uh, all of this stuff is tentative, and yeah. we've already seen so many different machinations discussed in, in different things that um, sure. I wouldn't be wed to anything in particular at the moment. <laughs> it's all no. going to change. <laughs> right. I mean, if they said that teams were going to play, they, they worked out a, a, a setup where they're only going to play the six teams most close to them geographically, I mean, I could... I think everything is on the table at this point. All right. Um, so, yeah, it, would it be cool to, to go, you know, see six games against the Baltimore Orioles? Sure. Um, you mentioned the East is probably the toughest two divisions in baseball. We know how good the Nats, Phillies, and Mets are, at least pretty good. Um, and then, of course, the East, even if you feel like the Red Sox are going to be down a bit after trading Mookie and Chris Sale underwent surgery, you know, you, you still have maybe the best roster in baseball with the Yankees. They have the Rays mentioned the Blue Jays have a young, improved team. So, um, again, this is uh, – but I, I, as I say this, if it means the Braves are going to have three months worth of baseball and some semblance of normalcy in sports for the first time and at that point four or five months, uh, I would sign up for it 11 times out of 10. So um, I, I think it would certainly be different. Nobody really expected this to happen months ago. But if this is the plan they land on, then, then so be it. I think everybody will be happy if there's some real baseball happening. Yeah, that's a good synopsis. I mean, and we we discussed this previously as well, but part of the issue with the divisional thing, I guess the point is to limit travel, but in the NL and AL East, you're not limiting travel. Like, think about yeah. 
think about where teams have to go. Like New York to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> Toronto mean, to Miami. Yeah. Right. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I understand what, I understand the reason behind it, but in the, uh, in the East specifically, it just doesn't matter a whole lot. Like I saw people got really mad online this week. Um, there was a Terry McGurk thing that we almost brought up on the podcast, but he ta- he started talking about how he was like kind of defiant with Mark Bradley about oh, yeah. <laughs> how they wouldn't be playing anywhere but the NL East. And it's like, hey, Terry, you know what doesn't matter right now? <laughs> that. Like, what, yeah. what are we doing? And, and people rightly pointed out, as we have before on this podcast, that like the Braves have just as much in common geographically with the Central as they do with the East. Like, it's not... Yeah. I get it if you were a, if you were a Mets fan and they told you you had to play in, in 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 the Central or the West like okay I guess that might bother you a little bit but if you're the Braves are like the last possible team to be defined about geography in baseball <laughs> they were once <laughs> yeah. in the West and now they're in, now they're in a division where no one's near them so yeah I don't know well and if you you know originally it was they were swapping with the Pittsburgh Pirates yeah I mean you could totally put the Pittsburgh Pirates in the East put the Braves in the Central for every year you know moving forward after this and it really wouldn't be all that different I mean how far what or how far east of uh Atlanta uh, of uh St. Louis is Atlanta I don't know a couple hundred miles I mean it's somebody not did like the math. I mean somebody did the math and it was literally yeah. the Braves are it's marginal but the Braves are actually the average distance to the NL Central is closer for the Braves than it is to the East well right if you now. look at them if you look at a map, it it's it makes more sense geographically to join the AL and a, uh, AL Central and East teams as it does the NL East and Central teams. That makes more sense travel wise than pairing up by you know East Central and West. So I I don't know. We'll see it's what just, they end it, up. It doesn't really matter. I just I just kind of remember no. that as we were talking that I almost put that on the outline to talk about. <laughs> but I just, it, it was kind of just silly and people were mad about it. But alas, here we are. Um. One other thing that I wanted to point out that was reported from Rosenthal was that um, there was discussion about a about player rosters being forty to fifty players. Now, granted, that would dip down to about thirty or so um, per game on the active roster, but I, I sort of get it in that they want to have deep rosters. They're definitely going to have deeper rosters. It appears that's kind of all the discussions include that because of various things like you know injuries you know, all that stuff, um, slow ramp up. I mean, sorry, fast ramp up, not having a whole lot of time. They want to have these, uh, increased rosters, but that is really interesting. Um, the size of the roster. And also there was at least one or two reports that I saw today about the proposal for universal DH for this season. And it might, it might be a one season only, but I don't want to go too deep into that. Cause that's, that's like one of those topics that people are like forever dug in on and get really mad about. But, yeah. uh, for this season alone, you could say, even if you hate the DH, and I'm not a huge DH guy, um, I, I would, I think I could sort of see it more this time around because do you really want, I mean, do you ever want pitchers running around? But, you know, the the injury stuff is real enough where if you wanted to convince me that Universal DH for this season only wouldn't make me upset. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the DH makes sense. And as you said, I mean, I think the most simple solution here is just to let teams have their 40-man rosters active for any game. I mean, and then, and then pick or, or, you know, be able to call on anybody on your 40 man roster and then add them to an active, you know, 30, 32 man roster every night. It makes sense. Teams, I would imagine are going to be more, if there's a season, they're going to be more cautious than ever with their relievers because they're, they've just all kind of been thrown off their rhythm here. Um, you know, really it's, it's really no different than if, then what like Dallas Keuchel went through last year you know he talked about it. it took him a good month or so into the once he started pitching which was late June 
you know, it was really a full month, he said, before he kind of felt like he was in his groove. I'm guessing a lot of players, if, if they do start on, say, July 1, are going to be in a similar boat. Um, you know, it's just nothing they've ever done before. And I think having the extra players to, to keep people fresh, hopefully negate and limit injuries as much as you realistically can, um, <clears throat> because naturally, whenever you've done something one way for, for a decade, and then all of a sudden <laughs> you, you ramp up in February and March, and then you, you slow way down, and maybe guys are still throwing bullpens on the side. But again, it's, it's just all so unconventional. But I would sure think that, as we've talked, having, having your 40-man roster, as it is now, I mean, teams can obviously pluck their 40-man roster however they, they so choose, uh, but having expanded active rosters for the games make all the sense in the world. Yeah, and I'm pretty convinced that if they have a season, it's going to feature larger active rosters than there have been previously. How much larger is kind of where you start getting into interesting conversations, but it'll be larger, and we'll see where that ends up landing. The other, and I think the last thing probably um, that I wanted to make sure we talk about is that um, they've seemed to move away from the sort of bubble structure um, at least in baseball, there's, a, there's been a lot of talks about um, playing in home parks as much as possible, even without fans. I'm not really sure why. I get it to some extent, but um, I guess they're hoping for fans later on or something like that. But um, and that will that will so, at least according to the reporting, that'll be driven by like states and how state setups are done, like shelter in place restrictions, etc. And and the clubs that can't open in their in their home parks, I guess, would move to at least temporarily to spring training sites or maybe even other parks that are not currently housing baseball teams. I'm not really sure how that one works, but I thought it was interesting that we've definitely heard a lot less talk about, you know, the Arizona plan or um, certain, you know, Walt Disney world, all that stuff is not really happening anymore. It's more like, all right, we're going to go back to our home ballparks and uh, we'll figure it out if certain teams can't play in their home home ballparks. And I think that has to be, and with reason, that as soon as guys like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw, who never speak out about anything, kind of raise the red flag at being away from their families for months at a time and their kids and, and all that, um, my guess is that was kind of a way or is a way for the, as talks progress of, hey, you know, we're going to do this, but you'll be able to be home. You won't be stuck in a, you know, Scottsdale or, or some Florida hotel for months on end. Um, that would be my guess. I don't know, but I would imagine most players, if given the opportunity with all this going on, would much rather play. I, I don't know. Maybe teams feel like they can control the elements a little better in their home parks, or if they if they figure it's their own employees for cleaning and, and maintenance and all that, maybe they feel a little better about their chances. Um, I'm sure their facilities are nicer than what they yeah. have at, at the spring park. So that's an important uh, I, one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's easier to get medical attention if it's your team doctors in town versus versus elsewhere. So I'm sure it's just one of those things is as they've progressed in these, you know, however often they're making these phone calls with everybody. My guess is that was one of the first things where the player said, you can absolutely forget it. Cause it did seem like as soon as that, the Arizona only and Arizona, Florida proposals came out, I, I, I don't think I saw a single player saying, you know, hell yeah, let's get this going. Um, but there were the, the Mike Trouts and Clayton Kershaw's of the world who said, you know, absolutely not. I'm not playing if I have to be away from my kids for, for four months. Yeah, it is a lot harder to sell. I think we said this at the time, but it's a lot harder to sell the bubble concept for a full season like mm-hmm. than it is for maybe in the NBA where you're trying to like do a month and a half of a playoffs and it's not yeah. the whole league. It's only certain teams. That's already a tough sell. But then you're trying to tell me that the entire league starts a season 
fresh in a bubble, it's harder. I will be the first person to grant that. Yeah. So uh, it looks like that is out the window at this point, although I won't be surprised by anything. I, I will keep by, I keep saying that I think all of this stuff is flexible beyond flexible. Even the best reporters like Rosenthal and Passon who get, who uh, have all the latest, they'll all couch everything. Cause they just, they just know that it could change. It's just, that's where yeah. we are. I mean, it's not, that's not satisfying, but uh, I don't know is the right answer. Well, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, players hate spring training cause they, they don't like being away for six plus weeks. You can imagine saying, Hey, by the way, you're going to do this at a reduced salary for four months while the whole world is, more effectively shut down so yeah i don't know hopefully <laughs> uh, i don't know i uh, <laughs> i would like to think that that baseball is going to happen this year man i don't know maybe maybe it will be surprised and, and it will but I'll, I'll be honest i am i think i don't know if it's the timing of when we're doing this and the stuff that was out there on saturday and sunday from pass and rosenthal i think i'm actually a little more optimistic about baseball happening right now than I have been at any point in the last month plus. See, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost the other way. Like a month ago, I would have said, yeah, and that, that, I mean, I won't, I won't argue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And, it, no one really and that, kind of, that kind of speaks to how crazy this whole thing is because I can feel that way. You can feel that way. We, we, we both have real reasons for it. So I don't know. I, I think it's, I'm not an expert neither are you on this. We're all kind of just going on what we can go on. And I think that's actually really interesting and telling that we have completely different reactions. Yeah. Like if you told me a month ago that they weren't going to have a season, I would have said, Oh man, really? I figured they would have had something. But if you told me it today, I would have said, well, it kind of makes sense. I'm not sure the players and owners are ever going to agree on something. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, but, but you, I mean, but you feel the exact same or the exact opposite. I'm sure a lot of people do too. And I'm sure, a month ago, people might have felt the way I did. So, well, also, yeah. I will say this: if we get into, so for instance, we we covered this before, but the Monday and two Monday ownership call Tuesday league presents. It's May tenth right now. If they're not if they're not like close to a deal by June one, then I will uh, revert back to not having any optimism whatsoever because they're not setting drop dead dates. But it does feel like mid-June in terms of having a, a concrete plan and like starting spring training is yeah. kind of a it's kind of a drop dead drop dead date in some respects. Yeah, because uh, they're, they they're not going to say that, but it feels like it. Well, and I mean they have to get ready, and if they don't have games going by Fourth of July, I just don't see. I mean, maybe like July tenth. I was going to say maybe mid, but, maybe mid July, but I, I'm with yeah, you in that general range. If it's anything after that, if they're not playing games or at least have games scheduled, then I'm going to say it's not happening. Right. And if, you know, if they think they can realistically get 60 or 70 games, I mean, what's the point, right? Like, are they going to play for two months and then have a, have a, you know, half the league in the playoffs? I, I don't well, know. By, by the way, Scott, I mean, you say that, if that's my only option, this is, this is just baseball fans slash baseball, you know, person that covers baseball. I'll take it. I don't love that, but I think there is still a large portion of the baseball watching population that would sign up for that. It would be very weird. And I think they don't necessarily want to do it. And it's what it comes down to. But if you told me that like, I either have zero baseball until 2021 or I can have some weird hybrid, I'll still take the weird hybrid. It won't be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But no, I I would, I mean, I would, if you told me I was going to get three weeks of games, I would take it. Um, I just think, 
from a player's and owner perspective, I, yeah. So I, I think that I'm with you. I think by June one, which is another what three or so weeks from now, weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, if they can have something tentatively hammered out, and again, just because they they work out a deal does not mean they're locked into anything. I tweeted this the other day. You know, they can kind of pull the plug at any point if, if they yep. come to this tentative agreement and say let's let's at least try and try to play 81 games or 78 games or whatever they want to do. And all of a sudden, it's just a logistical nightmare. Players are having trouble traveling. Uh, you know, people are starting to get sick, or or uh, there's a spy. Who knows what's going to happen? Baseball can't say, "Look, we tried, we did our best. We just can't realistically do this." You know, stay healthy, and we'll see you in 2021. Yeah, we'll we'll see you in March. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's in play. I know we've uh, this is I think a third episode in a row that's like kind of just like on these plan updates, and I feel bad for that, but. Um, I, I can assure our listeners if we, if there is an agreement and we have a start date for baseball, we will start talking about baseball again. And, and by that, I mean the Braves and like rotations and lineups and all kinds of like, well, I, we're going to do that again. If we think there's baseball happening or if there's a schedule in place until then, I'm trying to keep everybody updated. We will definitely do some more brave centric content as we get closer hopefully that's going to happen if they cancel and never play then we will have to figure out what we're going to do for, <laughs> we're going to uh, go to some dark places on this podcast or right, well, yeah, we, we'll suggest our favorite recipes that might just happen <laughs> yeah we'll be uh scraping the barrel but hopefully that doesn't happen hopefully there'll be baseball at some point yeah. um th- that's going to do it for all of my thoughts on this Sunday yeah. evening scott do you have final thoughts for sign off no, I'm good. Go enjoy, uh, go enjoy your MJ doc. I'm a couple episodes behind, but it's been it's been awesome. I've been your looking noted forward. passion for the NBA just burns through you. I know you're a huge <laughs> NBA guy, so I am. I was a uh, you know 15 years ago, I was a little bit of a bigger fan, but anyway, we could that's probably a, go. That's how a lot of people are actually. A, yeah, alas. but it is good. If people haven't caught that, it's it is well worth your time. If you're any kind of a sports fan, it's it's really well done and. Um, Anyway, yeah, enjoy your uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday night and hope everybody out there is doing well. Yep, happy Mother's Day, everybody, as we said before. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast. We are still trying to bring you some content. Hopefully everybody's appreciating our efforts on that front. Um, but yeah, subscribe, tell a friend. We'll see you next week. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today